Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. So, Timbo, you know we are the Movement, Strength and Play podcast and have been for a while now. We're no long, we've, it was a long time ago that we were the School of Calisthenics podcast. It's Movement, Strength and Play by the School of Calisthenics. And we've done these little training hack uh, or, or training little uh, short snippets on the podcast. We've done play. We've done strength. So uh, anyone out there that's like... Um, I was going to try to say something then that was basically we've still got movement to do. So movement today, and one of the, whenever I think of the word movement, I hear a phrase that you must have said. I don't know how long ago, but it still rings true. Movement is the cornerstone of performance, and we're going to open up your brain and your wisdom about what that statement means and how we can apply that to our training today. Yeah, interesting. Just first reflection on that. I don't want to drag the intro out, but what we have done <laughs> is we, we renamed the, the podcast, but then because people like the old podcast, we've just kept all the old features and put them into a new one. So effectively, we've still got the same jingle, same outro, new outro. Yeah, anyway. Um, yes, I have said this word, this phrase a lot. Um, I don't know how many times, and I stand by it. And this is this we're coming in hot on this one. I sometimes quite like it when we don't have lots of time to prepare because I haven't prepared anything for this one. We're going to shoot from the top, and sometimes that's where some wisdom comes from. So we're going to talk about movement being the cornerstone of performance, um, but we also want to talk to you about our movement and mobility course, which is coming up very soon. It starts on the 29th of September, if I'm not wrong, Jacko. Yes, which might only be depending if we've done our mathematics correctly and, and, and scheduling, it might only be a week away. Exciting. There's only probably a few spaces, as I talk now, there's only a few spaces left, so it could even already be booked up, but if you're interested, go and check out. Uh, the links will be in the show notes. It's a six-week online course every Wednesday for six weeks uh, with me and Coach Georgie. You get to follow the six sessions live, so the accountability of those live sessions. If you miss one, you can watch them all back on replay. You can, whether you miss them or not, you can watch them back on replay. But every single exercise we go through and actually a few little additional bonus extra ones are in a video library uh, that you get access to as part of the course and you get lifetime access for that. There's um, all broken up by body parts so you can go right hips, ankle, shoulders, whatever you'll know what you're going to work on because we'll have worked through some assessments and um and uh, you're going to get access to that all of that content all those live sessions and then just like carry on using it to improve uh, your ability because the reality is in six weeks we'll make some good changes but it's long-term change that we're interested in and we're we're not going to lie to you um making these long-term changes can take longer than six weeks so that's why you have access to it for as long as you want and it is all of that for just 125 quid or if you are a virtual classroom member, you obviously get a discount. It's discounted 99 quid. Can't tell you what the discount code is on the podcast because those listening might or may or may not be a, a, a podcast, uh, may or may not be a member. So uh, if you log into your dashboard, you will be able to see the code within there on what's coming up next. It might take longer than six weeks if you're well old because you're looking moving <laughs> dysfunctionally for longer. Eight years. So you might have to do, you might have some more baggage you need to unpack. But the important thing is that we all start and we make investments in our long-term health performance and that all driven by our movement, which probably tees up quite nicely, Jacko, to get into the podcast. So sit back and enjoy me and Jacko freestyling a little bit around why movement is the cornerstone of performance. Um, you've just given me another idea for a, uh, a title for an, another podcast. Is this an online or offline conversation? Uh, it's online because okay. it's happening it now. now yeah. uh, back, it was, what you say, baggage, um, unbagging the baggage. Unbagging, bringing the baggage. The junk in the trunk. That's <laughs> unbag, else, unbag, it? unbag the baggage. Right. <laughs> Roll that jingle. 
All right, so Timbo, movement is the cornerstone of performance. How does that, um, or just, uh, you can go wherever you want with it, but I'm just thinking of like how we talk about strength so much and how strength sort of underpins everything. So where does that, like, if if you had to prioritize one, you know, like you can't have two priorities. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work in, uh, although we, the word priorities doesn't even make sense because you can only have one of a priority. Is it, but, um, is it- yeah, how does that? It's like it's 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 strength, but it's also movement. It's like ah, now I feel like I've asked an impossible question. But I think it, you're the impossible man. We, we define our impossible. We refer to the priority. Is that the correct way of saying it? Is that a way? It isn't school of English. No, and I'm definitely not an English teacher. Uh, we are chewing into our available slot today, though, aren't we? So let's get into it. Um, I don't know if, whether I can claim to be the original quoteur of this phrase or whether i have along the way of my many years in this industry pinched it from somebody else um i'm sure somebody else has said it but i i it came back it came to me and i do feel like i started using it quite early on in my career and the just the context for this is if anyone's ever been to a presentation that i've done i've probably showed them a slide which is about the kinetic chain principles and what that basically does is shows us the major systems that are involved in human movement, the skeletal, muscular, and neural system. And then I added the fascial system because that often gets um, forgotten, which we can throw into some uh, conversation later on. The integration of those systems working together to effectively create neuromuscular out, uh, neuromuscular efficiency, which was a, a definition by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, which I always liked, which was the role of agonist, antagonist, synergist, and stabilizers to concentrically produce force, isometrically stabilize, eccentrically decelerate force in all planes of motion. I didn't have that written down, Jacko. That is burnt and into that my is a long, memory. Well remembered. But what that effectively, if we interpret it that, what it means is multidirectional, high quality movement. If we've got this kinetic chain principles, um, if they're not working optimally, then the system will compensate and the brain will find a different way to achieve a movement outcome if it doesn't have access to a number of different things. Now, the first one of those is going to be range of motion. It doesn't really matter from a movement quality and athleticism perspective how strong you are if you can't move because the, 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 the dysfunction or the compensation which is going to come is going to be largely driven by the, by the brain trying to put you in a body position or shape or to execute a movement outcome which will then allow you to express force and power and, yeah. or endurance or whatever it might and this be. Is, and this is where calisthenics is a little bit different to, say, like um, traditional say weightlifting or a bodybuilding type of scenario where we would go, right, uh, almost like you just change the exercise if you can't really, you know, I can't press in that position. So I I tend to use my grip like this or whatever it may be, or I use, you know, I use that machine over there rather than doing it like that. Whereas if you're, if you're, if you're training to do your handstand or whatever, and it's like, you haven't got the movement of the shoulder, then it's it's just it's just a non-negotiable in a way isn't it yeah absolutely and it all drives back to this idea of um or the the principle of um our, our length tension relationships so muscles will have a certain within the, i'm not going to go into massive detail of the science on this one but effectively within the muscle we've got muscle fibers which overlap and the, the greater degree of overlap 
is going to represent a shortened muscle where the overlap is is less there's less crossover between those fibers we're going to have or the filaments i should probably say for those that are technical out there and want to pick me up on that but where the filaments don't cross over as much we're going to be in a lengthened position so if you think about your let's do a biceps it's a really easy one with elbows straight there is less crossover of the filaments within the muscle which are the contractile elements when we contract the muscle those filaments slide together and they latch onto each other and they create force if the muscle is in a shortened position, so think about the wrist or right up in that finished bicep curl position, you're, you've got maximal overlap of, that, um, of those filaments. And therefore, yeah. what that means is our length tension relationships deter are determined by muscle length. Now, we can produce less force at end ranges. So either elbow straight, we're not as strong, and elbow like super bent, finishing the bicep curl, we're also not as strong because we don't have as much overlap in those muscle fibers or filaments to create force. That's why typically we are strongest in our mid ranges. I think it's around 50 to 60% of, of um, in a joint position or joint angle, depending on, I'm not gonna get into details, it changes, but let's yeah. go mid range. So you've got in that position, you've got maximal overlap of the muscle uh, filaments or the filaments in the muscle and therefore can produce the most amount of force. Now, the issue comes is when we start to get some abhorrent or dysfunctional movement patterns. Say, for example, we've got the chest is too tight because we've done a little bit too much of the good stuff back in our early training years, i.e. bench press. <laughs> yeah, man, that was good <laughs> stuff. Um, the muscle, we effectively train the muscle into a short contracted position. So it's not particularly good at producing a maximum amount of force because it's kind of shortened at that it's closer into end range than it should be at optimum. What we're also going to have, because the body is all about balance, is going to have lengthened tissue on the opposite side of the joint. So we're going to find the rotator cuff, rhomboids, anything which is actually wanted to pull the shoulder backwards in the opposite direction of the pec is going to be lengthened and therefore can't produce as much force. So you can still move, you can still bench press, you can still do anything you want to do because the brain will find an outcome for you to help you to achieve that objective, but it's never going to be optimal. So to get optimal mechanics through the upper body for calisthenics, what we want to have is optimal length tension relationships. So we want the right amount of balance front to back, nothing too tight, nothing too short, nothing too long. And, and therefore that's going to enable us to actually create really good um, uh, let's say functional movement patterns, that's going to give us the foundation for neuromuscular efficiency. Now, if we have that, we can then go and load effectively strength on top of it. But if you haven't, if we've got any dysfunction around that movement system and our length tension relationships, which is going to determine our, our resting posture, our static, um, static postural control. And also obviously then it's going to feed into what our dynamic postural control is like how well we actually move. If we've got short, tight muscles, long, relatively weaker muscles, that's just going to mean that we don't move well. And then those, it's difficult to progressively overload and scale a system that doesn't move well because we're constantly fighting against these sub, uh, suboptimal movement patterns. Let me give you another example and I'll shut up. I had a coffee before this one, which you can probably tell. <laughs> um, the second one, the, 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 the example to give you is just think about um, a squat pattern, for example. If we have got length tension relationship issues around the lower body, we might find that we kind of can't squat that low because hamstrings are super tight or our knees bang together when we drop into that squat position. Whatever we do around trying to get strong, we're only going to get strong in that position. If, and the most effective way for us to start to build strength in the long term is to correct the movement pattern first, get people into good squat patterns 
And then once we can squat well, then we can overload it. And the system will respond and adapt appropriately because it's just designed to move in a much in, mm. in that position. It's more like what a strong shape looks like. Let's remove Olympic weightlifters because sometimes they do go and tread that red line between what perfect form looks like, but they're lifting a hell of a lot of weight. For the majority of people, knees in line, over toes, hips square is going to be the strongest position to squat in. We don't really ever optimally want to cue people to squat with their knees adducted or coming inwards because it's just like basic architecture, right? The forces and joints aren't stacked up on top of each other. And therefore, we're not going to be as, as effective mm. at producing force. So correct the movement. Movement is a cornerstone of performance because once you can move well, you can do everything else. Speed, endurance, power, whatever it is. But if you can't move well, it is extremely difficult or not difficult. You can get adaptation, but you're walking a line the whole time because you start loading on a weak chassis. Yeah, I think you're something we've talked a lot about before about like not not moving through pain or just listening to the body. So if it's, if some, you know, if you take this dysfunction too far, you're not just getting a little bit of um, disruption in that length tension relationships, like that keeps going and you keep having a little bit of compromise and a bit of dysfunction. Like eventually you're probably going to end up having something that's sort of a bit painful and it irritates you a bit and then you don't do anything about it and you just keep going, keep going. And then eventually you're going to have like some proper pain, either a proper injury or like some chronic pain. So there's a good reason for, for doing that. If I bring it back sort of full circle um, to like the strength question of and, and almost me going, oh, well, what was that? So that's actually a difficult question because strength is, is really important. But the what I'm hearing from from that explanation there is going like even and this is where there's potentially like buy in for people. If you're not that bothered about flexibility or movement and actually you just really like being strong and feeling strong, the buy in can be in here where you go, actually, if you improve the quality of how you move and you improve the quality of those length tension relationships, you will also put the joints in, in more optimal positions to actually produce force and get stronger rather than sort of like hitting a plateau. You're effectively going to, without the good quality movement and these um, good length tension relationships around multiple joints, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be working with the handbrake on, you're going to be restricting yourself. The body is not going to, put down or allow you to develop optimal strength so even if you're not bothered about movement and you actually you're a strength you're a strength guy or a strength girl there's good there's good reason um for that is that is that a fair sort of yeah like and that's i guess why it puts why it puts movement before strength even though both are equally or but even though both are very important it does actually it's a good reason why you put movement before strength yeah i think the context as i always talk about these days is important so if you just want to get really good at a front lever you probably don't need optimal length tension relationships because you're playing to one position. You can get strong in that range of motion that you are actually quite good at. But what you'll probably find is it's quite difficult to get strong in other ranges of motion. <laughs> in anything in else. Anything else. <laughs> because you've got, like, you're working mid-range, you've got super like rounded posture, like that just might play to your strengths. Um, and yeah, great, you can get strong in there. But if you want to then go and get into overhead positions, you might well find that that's quite difficult. And particularly then to go and produce force in end range positions overhead because you're effectively just like, it, that is your, as I said before, it's your end range shape and therefore you can produce less force. And there's mm. probably some issues of how the muscles are then coordinating together. Um, but let's kind of, if we zoom out, and, and I always look at things from an athletic performance perspective, not because it's an elitist, but more about the idea that, 
sport and if you view movement through an athletic lens it forces us to start to think about quite a holistic approach it's not now just about a front lever that is a skill but that needs to be in my opinion part of a movement um arsenal if you want to call it that or a literacy is probably a better word where it's mm. have all of these movement options and then apply them down certain routes of your interest and a good example of that is going to be olympic weightlifters supremely strong performing relatively high skill um, movements under extreme intensity, some of the most flexible people you'll find for their size. Mm. They'll sit into a deep squat, their hip mobility, their ankle mobility, shoulder mobility, right on point, but they are super strong as, as, as within that. So they are this kind of thing of like, oh, you're, you're mm. like yoga, for example, super bendy, not that strong because you're not building strength. So with, with a lot of strength in, in most yoga yeah. patterns, I don't want people to get yeah. on me about the, yoga. The Olympic, the Olympic weightlifters are, are a good one, actually, because a lot of people do think, I remember hearing a thing of like Jamie Vardy was saying, um, you know, the footballer saying like, oh, wait, if I do weights, it makes me slower. Um, and obviously like the way you do anything could make you, could make you be worse at something. It depends on how we're how we're doing it. But the the idea that like if people are strong and have a lot of muscle, they're not flexible. Like that throws that out of the water. And partly because they train their strength in those ranges all the time. And the the task that they give their brain and body to perform is you have to catch at the bottom of that deep squat. If you haven't got a deep squat, it's not it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And then the other thing is with those guys, you talk about. Um, a bit like if you're being big, making you slow and like think about power and vertical jump and how vertical jump is related to sprint speeds. Like, Have you seen some of the vertical jumps on those massive dudes? They might be like 180 kilos and like you basically look like they've got, look like they spend a bit too much time down the pub in terms of like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're right like a massive like strongman type thing, but then they can jump ridiculously high. Um, and then you talk about that flexibility as well. And um, it, 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 they're they're actually a good example that sort of breaks a few myths around like yeah if you build up strength through really short ranges of motion then yeah you're going to be tight yeah but that's no difference to just never doing any movement or any stretching you're going to be tight yeah think about when you sit in a car for three hours after a long journey you get out <laughs> you feel tight because you haven't moved for three hours add that up into like I haven't moved for 10 years, well, then you're going to feel super tight. And this is where I think the, the, we can kind of round it through to, the, to this point, really, of, of why are Olympic weightlifters, as a good example, strong through end ranges? I mean, I don't even know how much those guys are catching, but they're probably front squatting over 200 kilos mm. um, in that, like, proper ass on your heels kind of position. Like, oh, yeah. It's a, it's a horrible multiple horrible times position a day just to be like, like, happy to be to be trying to do front squats in but if you unless you can front squat in that position you're not going to complete your, your um, clean and jerk and that also then comes from, from a point of lifting a really heavy load and you're probably not going to high pull it that high you've got to get a long way down to be able to catch <laughs> that bar and get out of it to complete the lift before you even worry about throwing it overhead so i, I just think that why are they good at that well, they move in those positions regularly and they load those positions with those kind of weights in a, in a, in a consistent um, fashion. So it's, it, it isn't just those guys happen to have good range of motion. They get what they train for and they try their best whenever they are, um, when, whenever they're trained to move with high quality. And that brings me back mm. to the point around the kinetic chain principles. If we allow relatively poor quality movement, the brain is just going to adapt to whatever stress we place on it. And we talk about that from a strength perspective all the time. We go, well, you want to get stronger, lift heavy weights. Well, it's also going to adapt to however you move. So if we continue to move 
or continue to move in relatively suboptimal ways. So we're allowing dysfunction. We're pretty shoddy with our quality and our, our standards that we set ourselves. Mm. We just get better at moving badly. And that's only ever going to start to go down this downward spiral of reinforcing poor quality movement patterns until we just don't move well. Mm. So if we want to move well, if we want to kind of have that opportunity to get in and out of good positions, and that is going to feed everything that you want to do, whether that be now in your short term or in five years time, when you decide you want to go and learn speed skating, I don't know, like it could be anything, but you want to, you want to maintain that movement literacy. And if you move well, you'll find it much, much easier to apply or to turn your hand to other things that you might decide Mm. you want to do in life and do those things without massive risk of injury because your system is just well-rounded. It's very much this idea of, of focusing on the generalism of movement, moving in different ways, getting out of, just the front to back sagittal planes through poor range of motion and allowing yourself to actually compromise movement quality in the, um, in the, in the pursuit of more reps or less time yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. I think that's a, and so when we're talking about longevity and so I think that's a beautiful way to, to sort of finish and wrap this one off that when you're focusing on that movement quality, as you say, then you can turn your hand to, lots of different things so you're on holiday and you're like oh um there's a flipping i don't know like water ski thing or there's there's something that you've never done before but you're like pedalo well i feel i feel pretty (laughs) (laughs) i feel pretty like feel pretty robust i feel pretty good like i could yeah i can i can try that i don't feel like oh rather than oh no i can't do i reckon that'll hurt me back because you know i normally tweet my back when it do you mean like so that then for me is that's what's like enriching our lives and other people's lives of going like you are able to enjoy your body going out into the world and just doing stuff, you know, and, and rather than training, just being for the sake of training or to make yourself look different or whatever, that there's, that there's a bit more depth and a bit more purpose to it. And actually allows you to, to, this is just something for me, like for me personally, like allows me to use my body out in the world to be able to enjoy my body and the world and enjoy those two things together. And, and that's, uh, I, I personally find that like a, a beautiful thing and a, and a, and a rewarding thing and something that does give me motivation to, to train when I don't really feel like I can be, be bothered. Cause otherwise yeah. it's like, there's nothing to train for. I'm like, uh, why? But you can throw it, you can throw it up into anything. Can't you? Like I've, I've, um, under the tutelage of my coach, B-Boy Wicket, I've started trying to learn flares. Um, and I just was, I was arrogant the other day. This has it, got to be a whole separate podcast by the way, at some point. I mean, you can start well, doing good, flares. Progress is slow because I'm, I'm not practicing enough. But um, <laughs> I didn't warm up yesterday arrogantly because I kind of think I move pretty well. Trying to get into new positions with the hips and, and I, I, I kind of twinged my hip. Not, not, it, was, it was better in six hours. It wasn't a bad one, but I could came out of it going, okay, I don't have that range of motion at that intensity. So I, I should have done some more preparation-based work on it. On tap, yeah. But the, the point I want to make is I can get into that where it's actually quite like a full-on position in terms of the shapes that I need to make. Um, and I think it, you, you think about wherever it might be, you might decide you want to take up martial arts in five years' time. Like you're going to need that hip mobility to be able to do it well. And I think it's... We, we, we talk about all this time and people probably won't listen, but it's thinking about like <laughs> just what do you want to do? move if you continue to move well your options are open and, and even if you don't want to go down a martial arts route or you don't want to learn breakdancing as a 40 year old because that's just a stupid thing to try and do <laughs> it, like it's just everything loads on top of it like if you whatever if you, just movement is life and when you can't move anymore life gets pretty miserable so maintain movement by just 
thinking outside the box. It's not even outside the box. It's just like think outside your current practice if you are a sagittal player and front-to-back kind of person who doesn't get into kind of deep kind of squat positions, deep lunge positions, rotational patterns, positions overhead. We know that these we're often drawn in training sessions to the things that we're good at. What we actually need to focus on is the things that we don't like and that feel pretty miserable, not mm. painful, but just hard because that is where the, where the, the, the real kind of value is going to be in this kind of conversation. Yeah, for sure. Beautiful way to wrap things up, Timbo. I haven't got anything else. Say. That was it. That was, that was a caffeine fueled yeah. download of kinetic chain principles. If anybody wants to know more about that, then you need to just, I probably have actually covered this in most webinars on the virtual classroom online yeah, programs, yeah. Jacko. So if people want yeah. to learn Seven more about Seven day free stuff. trial inside the virtual classroom. All of your all your webinars and all the educational content is for part of the VIP membership. So check those out if you haven't done yet. Um, all the links are in the show notes and all that sort of jargon. Um, you know what it's like. We really appreciate you uh, listening to the podcast. If you could give us a review, if you haven't yet, we would massively appreciate that. And if if this is a sort of podcast you think, oh, you know, that did resonate with me. And actually, I reckon that would, I reckon so and so, I reckon John or Jane or Jill or, you know, not just the J's, any name, any friend that you have might enjoy it then. Please share it with them or share it on social. Let us know what you thought of it. And we, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you or hearing what you thought about this one and seeing you next time. This is a great podcast. If you're a movement snob who's quite like a bit smug about how well you move, this is a great one to send <laughs> yes. to somebody. Go, I think this one, this one's for you, Phil. <laughs> Who's like stiff Phil? Stiff. Yeah. <laughs> other other stiff people are are obviously would also enjoy. It. Let's get off the airways, Jacko. Yes. I think that's enough. Until uh, next week, keep exploring your physical potential with movement, strength, and play. Class dismissed. You see, I told you we've just we renamed the podcast. But we kept all the old stuff as well. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>